Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and it is Thursday, January 20th, 2011, and welcome to the Future of Education. We're delighted to have Barnett Berry and John Holland with us. Welcome to you both. Hello, Thank Steve. You. Thanks, Thanks for having us. John, did I get a photo of the right guy there? Uh, that looks like me, only I'm a little bit younger in that one. <laughs> and Steve, you can see uh, how and why I needed to comb my hair before you put on the webcam. Oh, I didn't get that joke. I'm sorry. I, I missed that. Very funny. Uh, glad to have you both here. The Future of Education is sponsored by my employer, Illuminate, now Blackboard Collaborate. They allow me the time to do this, and I really appreciate it. The project I work on is LearnCentral.org. It's a free social network for educators with Illuminate and BKN. I'm sure that's part of a larger story we'll be telling tonight. Coming up on the Future of Education on Monday, Karen Cater is scheduled to talk about the 2010 EdTech plan. For those of you who, this is a midday show. It's at 12 noon Pacific. Um, I haven't heard back from Karen. She thought she might have a scheduling conflict uh, that she was alerted to earlier this week. Hopefully, we'll know for sure by tomorrow. The next day, Gary Steger comes on, I'm sure, to give a good rebuttal. Then Michael Horn looks at Disrupting Class, their new edition of the book, and what's happened uh, since the book was first published. David Wiley talks to us about open education. Karen Hume on Tuned Out, David Perkins on Making Learning Whole, and you can see lots of fun there. John C. Brown's going to be talking about his new book. Um, New on this list in the last couple of days, Mitch Resnick. Um, and then of interest to you probably, uh, the two of you, Bernadine Porter is going to come on and we're going to talk about local education engagement and, and how to involve communities in talking about education. So we hope there's something there that was of interest to you and that you'll tune in. They're all free at futureofeducation.com. If you've missed the show, uh, they're all recorded as well. Go to futureofeducation.com and click on the previous show's link. You can get both the full Illuminate recording and the MP3 files. Last night, a just fascinating conversation again with Yang Zhao about China, uh, the PISA test, and tiger moms. Before that, Will Richardson, Ira David Sokol. Well, it's been really a fun week. Um, and you can see we, in December we had Alfie Cohn, Deborah Meyer. Just really been fun the last uh, couple of years to do this show. If this is your first time in Illuminate, we do hope that you'll participate. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to go up to View Layouts in your menu, View Layouts, and switch to the Wide Layout. It makes the chat much easier to see. You can see the emoticons at the bottom of your participant window. There's a clapping hand, smiley face, a confused look, or a thumbs down. There's also a hand with a green up arrow that lets you raise your hand if you want to take the microphone to ask a question, which you'll be welcome to do. But we will kind of wait for the second half of the show to do that. Um, if you think you want to take the mic later, do go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your microphone is configured correctly. I'm going to give you a chance now to let us know where you're participating from. To the left of the map, look for a wand with a red star. Click on that and then click on the map. <laughs> and it's fun if you do a shout out in the chat. Let us know the time and the temperature. North America centric tonight with one in India so far. Always fun to see who joins. Oh, and New Zealand there. As always, wherever you're listening from, we're sure glad to have you here. And if you're listening to the recording, thanks so much for taking the time. So this is really fun for me. Uh, Barnett, you and I met at the fish market some time ago when, yeah. when you were working on the project. And I need to give you some real thanks for introducing me to Linda Darling-Hammond, who did come on the show, and that was really appreciated. And I'm um, sure appreciate you making that connection for me. Well, John, this is the first time I think you and I are meeting, but thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Steve. Absolutely. So could I get each of you, before we kind of dive into the project and the book, to tell a little bit of your own background? And Barnett, could we start with you, and then we'll move to John right after that? Well, well, thanks, uh, Steve. Yes, and of course, it's a great pleasure to be online with you tonight. And um, yeah, I guess it started um, oh about 55 years ago. <laughs> I'm getting ready to have the, the double nickel birthday in just about a week or so. Uh, but I won't uh, 
bore you with all the details from then to now, uh, but we'll tell you that uh, unlike uh, John and many other terrific teachers online here tonight, including many of our team members, uh, I never became uh, the expert classroom uh, teachers that these guys have become. I left after only three years of teaching, uh, but quickly um, moved on to graduate school where I studied the profession. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Steve, for putting that up there. So you can see uh, there on the left, I just found this picture not too long ago. That was me teaching. Uh, and no, this is not a picture about the aging process, but this does give you a sense um, of how long ago it was when I taught. Um, and while I have become a student of and an advocate for the profession of teaching, um, when it came time to write this book about the future of the profession that makes all others possible, um, I realized I could not do this alone. So if you flip the next slide real quickly, uh, I can point to just quickly the ex extraordinary group of teachers. And I think about a half a dozen of these guys uh, are on tonight, Susie Howley, Cindy Rigsby, Renee Moore. Um, and I think Jose is on as well, uh, joining um, John. Uh, there you go. Oh, thank you guys. Yeah, check you guys off if you're on. Um, but these uh, 12 teachers are um, about uh, a dozen of about a thousand who now work with us at our nonprofit, the Center for Teaching Quality, that has been for the last 11 years working to um, uh, turn teaching into the profession that students deserve uh, while we do what many other so-called think tanks do in terms of producing research and crafting smart policy that can inform uh, good decisions about the profession. Um, what we do most and best, we believe, is elevate the voices of accomplished teachers who oftentimes are so busy doing the great work in their classrooms that um, uh, their ideas and their solutions are really heard amongst the cacophony of um, other voices out there uh, in the blogosphere, in the policy arena, and the like. So what we're about mostly at CTQ, uh, Steve, and, and uh, this project and this initiative is uh, kind of the cornerstone of, of what we're about, is to help extraordinary classroom experts like these 12 and, and many, many others um, um, have more influence in the future of their profession. They have great ideas, uh, great vision. Um, and um, we need more of their input, that's for sure. Tom, we'll flip over to you. Okay, Steve. I, um, I'm a child development specialist in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I am also a National Board Certified teacher. Uh, I was teaching for about 12 years when I left the classroom to become a child development specialist. and. Um, my work on this book was really driven by the vision for education that um, had start in my teacher prep program. Um, had a professor challenge us to, to, to develop a mission for our career. And one of my missions, uh, one part of my mission was to transform education into a, a more equitable and uh, a better system for not only children but also for teachers. And so uh, I was lucky enough to to make some contact with the folks at TLN and have really enjoyed the opportunity to uh, be a part of something bigger. So uh, that's sort of how I got into this whole thing. Barnett, when you and I met, uh, it was pre-Waiting for Superman. Um, but I can remember you talking about um, this mistaken concept that uh, teachers are born and not made, and the idea that was that seems to be current that if you're smart and you care a lot, you can teach. Have I accurately captured what you were saying to me at lunch? Uh, absolutely, Steve. Um, it is one of I suspect uh, a handful of myths that unfortunately undergird a whole lot of policy making today. And here we are in the second decade of the 21st century, and I'm telling you, some of the uh, reforms that are suggested by Waiting for Superman in uh, that movie, as well as many other um, sort of policy documents that are coming out today and policy actions that are taking place today, are grounded much more in the 20th century. Uh, and quite frankly, some of the tools they're suggesting us use are undergirded by uh, principles that are grounded in the 19th century. 
So, um, and we hope this book and the vision that we are trying to offer can reshift, recalibrate uh, some of the reform talk uh, and uh, action. So let's talk a little bit about the project. I want to allow you to give a shout out. You've you've shouted out to the expert teachers, but uh, MetLife obviously has been important here. Do you want to talk a little bit about their role? Oh, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do so because, uh, and I see my colleague John Norton online with me tonight, uh, and John Holland with John Holland. John Norton um, has started TLN with me as our teacher leaders network, our, our virtual community that I referenced a few moments ago. Um, MetLife Foundation is probably one of the uh, few foundations that really gets um, the virtual piece, Steve, um, that teachers really can communicate with each other and learn from each other and actually uh, do something different as a result of working with each other online. Uh, they've made a big investment in this project. But I'll tell you what else is important about that foundation. They really value teacher voice, um, no holes barred. Uh, they're not looking to find teachers who will say what the, what the corporation wants to say or what the policy wants want them to say. They really want teachers to be able to take the time to study um, the research, study the policy possibilities, and come up with their own teacher solutions. Uh, Rick Love, our program officer there, Dennis White, the president there, has been fantastic. And actually, they just awarded us another grant to help um, push these ideas out, built some multimedia tools. Uh, Hopefully, I'm looking for maybe someone who's going to help us do a documentary uh, that could offer up uh, a more hopeful vision for the future of teaching, one that uh, departs from some of the uh, vision and uh, policy solutions that uh, out is out there right now. So I think that really gets to your action piece. Um, and I will tell you that uh, you know Vicky Abelles, who is the director of Race to Nowhere, came on the show. And um, she's had a lot of local engagement around that movie. And she might be a good person to, for me to introduce you to if you don't already know her. Are you familiar with Vicki? No, I'm not. And I really appreciate the opportunity to get connected to her because uh, we, um, we think we're onto something, but we sure need a, a lot of help. You know, we're a small nonprofit. About 13 colleagues worked with me at CTQ, a handful of, um, of consultants. Um, but a whole lot of extraordinary teachers who were trying to help uh, find ways to get them more involved. Um, so yeah, we'd love to get connected with Vicki for sure. Well, good. And I, I want to sort of save that toward the end, this sort of the action piece and the ideas. But certainly, they were really intriguing to me. And uh, in fact, uh, I'm going to make a connection because we've been talking to Edutopia about some projects that I think fit very well. And, and I know your appreciation of Edutopia. So um, it was also fun for me. In the book, you describe um, teacherpreneurs. Yes. And I saw so many names in the book of people that I feel have reached out in really significant ways in the social networks and the edge of blogosphere to help each other. Um, so that was fun. And, and uh, those that I didn't know, I thought, well, I better get to know them. <laughs> Great. So um, teachers, uh, you talked about the myths that undergird policy today. I don't want to put either of you on the spot, but this is something I'm particularly interested in, especially as it relates to thinking about change. And if, as we go through this, you think of some other myths you'd like to, to call out, I'd be very interested in hearing what those are. Um, so uh, this took place before Waiting for Superman, but obviously a lot of what you've done you know, sort of specifically addresses some of the, uh, the ways in which that movie kind of characterizes teaching and, and how things should change. Um, when you and I talked, you had said that it was important to determine what the skills of effective teachers would be. And I think that's a large part of the book. Do you want to go over that at all? Yeah, a little bit. And of course, I'd love for John to jump in here because he really is the classroom expert. Uh, but I think it gets back to that myth that you uh, briefly described too, Steve, just a moment ago about teachers being born and not made. Uh, they can actually do quite well as long as they're smart and work hard. Um, really runs uh, counter to the reality, uh, if you think about it. And many teachers online, I'm sure, will agree that uh, in this day and age, the need for teachers to know how to teach what we're calling uh, in some lighthearted way, um, the Google learner, the kid who, uh, like in the New York Times, um, sends and receives 27,000 texts a month. Uh, that changes 
uh, the game in terms of how she learns and what teachers need to do. The fact that teachers um, by the year 2030 will need to know a lot more even than they do today around second language learning because about 40% of this public education population will, will not have English as their first language. Um, we also need teachers who know a whole lot more about assessment, uh, figure out the hows and whys kids are learning, uh, not to mention the, the, the skills that teachers need to have to work uh, in and out of cyberspace as well as, and we'll get to this in this core part of the book, but also do even more intricate and important work uh, inside uh, the community um, with community organizations, uh, issues that our colleagues Renee Moore from Mississippi and Carrie Cam from Chicago spoke so eloquently about during our deliberations and wrote so poignantly about in our book. So these are just some of the skills that uh, teachers of today and tomorrow must have. And we find that so much of those uh, issues are totally lacking, totally lacking uh, or, or wanting in the reform rhetoric of today, um, including in the documentary Waiting for Superman. So I want to give you a chance to, to go into the book. Oh, John, please go ahead. Um, and, you know, one of the things that um, I was just in a conversation today, and we were talking about the skills that, uh, that teachers need to develop before they even step into the classroom. Um, a, lot of, a lot has changed about what we know about how kids learn, and um, the skills that you need, you don't necessarily need to know uh, the content because you can help figure out that content. But you do need to be able to look at kids, listen to kids, and really uh, try to figure out what's going to help them connect with that content. So um, I'll let you go on to the, to the next part. But just well, John, to I'll, 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 drill down, I'll drill down with you on that just for a second. Because I'm wondering, how new are those skills really? Or is it just that they continually get kind of subsumed in other views of education? Well. Uh, the, the conversation I was having today was about um, what we know about uh, human development and child development, um, cognitive science, and uh, and how uh, how people learn. Um, if you, as an educator, cannot figure out how a student is learning, then um, your best practice, no matter how many times it's going to be tried, may not necessarily work um, if it's not going to help that kid who learns in a particular way. And if you don't know what that way is, it really has a lot more to do with opening up um, to observing um, and trying to really see kids for who they are. Um, now I'll go ahead and let you put in a little bit more because I'm not sure I'm on your topic. No, you are. And, and, and Barnett mentioned in the chat, they're not, but they're needed more than ever. But we had Iris Sokol on the show uh, last week, and what was very interesting to it was very interesting to hear him talk about how this is not a new story. There's the the um, progressive ideas about education uh, uh, get put or counterposed against sort of the business. Uh, the, the idea that of what businesses need in terms of employees and in two sort of large historical patterns, the business community has typically won out over sort of the progressive view of education. And, and I'm wondering if, in fact, uh, this is just a recognition that now more than ever it's really important to be thinking about education in terms of the student and as learner rather than the student as product. Yeah, that's a really important point, um, Steve. I mean, it's and you know we've we've sort of taken this idea um, in this book of uh, backwards design um, and sort of turned it on its head. You know, because the the this trying to to create the workforce of tomorrow. Um, that's really doesn't seem to be the necessarily what's what's going to help um, us and help education, help kids in America or around the world really um, create a more positive future. And, and if I can add something right here, Steve, and I may be uh, jumping toward the end of the book. 
uh, and the concept of uh, teacherpreneurs, but uh, when we call for 600,000 expert teachers like John and many others on here line tonight, uh, who are actually still teaching kids on a regular basis, uh, daily, uh, weekly, um, uh, in and out of cyberspace, but have time, space, uh, geography, and reward uh, to spread their expertise um, to not just their colleagues, but to the policy community, uh, to the neighborhood uh, community-based organizations uh, working in concert with parents and other social service agencies, uh, and other support um, organizations that kids uh, today and tomorrow are going to desperately need. Uh, we need more teachers who are doing that work in the classroom also do that other work as well. But we can't have the same organization of schooling. We can't have uh, all these teachers uh, all doing the exact same thing. We've got to figure out how to differentiate the workforce in a way that elevates the profession and most notably begin to blur the lines of distinction between those who teach in schools and, and those who lead them. So I'm, I'm going to love allowing you to kind of um, keep going on that vision. A question I want to ask before we get to the book, and let's do that next, uh, <laughs> is um, in Waiting for Superman, there's this clear omission of all of the really good teaching practice taking place. Is there something about our uh, view of education or our view of how educational policy takes place that stops us from feeling comfortable of recognizing all of the good things that are currently going on. Um, I don't know if John, if you want to jump in here, and, uh, but please do. Um, but just, I think this gets back to the public engagement issue because the public, we believe, if we look, especially if you take the polling data seriously, has a whole lot more trust in the teachers in this country than the few policy wonks and politicians uh, that seem to be driving the conversation. By, by the way, let me add a few what we call the media mavens now. They seem to be highly influential too. I don't think the folks who are driving the policy conversation are the, have a great deal of faith in teachers, they, uh, but I think the public does. Uh, and uh, what we want to do is find some new innovative ways to engage the public with extraordinary teachers. And we don't think it's just a few of them. Uh, we think there are just hundreds and thousands, millions of teachers who the public needs to get to know better and what they're doing and why. And we think when that well, happens, we can change the system in pretty darn transformative ways. Well, and part of what uh, you know, the part I pointed out is that there's there's multiple conversations going on about education, and um, the the converse, the public conversation um, is can be very uh, uh, have a, a lot of uh, I'd like to use the raging discourse as a as a, a description of that conversation. But there's also the conversation that um, uh, policymakers and uh, state boards of education and local boards of education are having. And um, it's that conversation where uh, the expert teacher really needs to be involved, but they're not going to get there without having that public conversation and getting the, getting the voice that they need in the public first or at the same time. Yeah, yeah for example, in Waiting for Superman, this is, it was made so clear by this very cleverly designed uh, picture of the problems of schools that only if we got rid of tenure and gave principals more authority to hire and fire teachers, schools would get better. If we didn't have to pay teachers on the single salary schedule and pay them on the basis of test score gains, the school system will get better. Well, these are just absolute um, uh, false dichotomies of dysfunctional either-or issues that are so wedded in 19th and 20th century thinking and action. What this book does, we hope, and the vision that we've articulated together is get above um, that debate, perhaps even get some people upset on, on both sides of the, of the 20th century debate, uh, and help them think about how they might um, move forward in a more transcendental sort of way. Um, that's what we're hoping to do. 
So I'm going to tie some threads together here because uh, it's been uh, we've been laughing on the show because I've been reading Noam Chomsky. So everything I think of in terms of sort of large media control and the messages that get out. But but what I think what Ira was saying was that we've we've consistently had this sort of tension between uh, the student as learner versus uh, the, the, the business world's view of education. And maybe what makes this moment so different is that those conversations like the one tonight and, and maybe that you've had now are able to be more publicly visible without necessarily going through mainstream media. Do you see that as a big part of the, the change at this point in time? Uh, we sure hope so. That's why we have invested <laughs> mightily in the Teacher Leaders Network, and uh, and we're trying to figure it out uh, right now as we speak. Uh, Steve, John, you want to add in there? You've been a well, part of CLN for quite some time. You know the um, the one of the things about getting to connect with uh, so many accomplished teachers from around the country is that when we get together and we have these conversations. We are not agreeing all the time. We're we're disagreeing a lot of the time, and by realizing that you know we have so many different opinions, but in the end, when we get down to the so some of the um, the big ideas that we've come to in the book, um, we are agreeing, and so that's why I see you know uh, Barnett likes to say the the third way of doing something. I, I think that um, if we can so let go of this either-or mentality um, when it comes to, to how we can do education, we'll, we will find a way forward to, um, to maybe create a great workforce and also create the child-centered and student-centered learning environment that, that you know, teach so many teachers see will um, be what students will need. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up. And we, we talked about this last night with Yang Zhao which is if you think of schools as a factory, then you have one system that you tweak and improve uh, in order to get an outcome. But uh, there needs, uh, we, we, I think you're recognizing that education needs to be a dialogue so that the moment that you're saying there should only be one view, then you've missed something really critical. There needs to be an ability for different views to uh, creatively work together to produce viable outcomes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's get to the book. So I'm going to let you control the slides there, Barnett. And if you want to just go through um, what you want to talk about, then I'll. Okay, uh, you actually hit the go to all end all. So I'm yeah, going to jump this back. That's not a problem. <laughs> so here we go. And then just use yes. a single arrow. Yeah, I got you. This is why my colleagues at CTQ, when we get on Illuminate, Steve, do not let me do this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we actually covered some of this um, already, Steve, but I think it might be useful to kind of uh, allow our, our listeners um, tonight um, kind of see how and why we are so hopeful, because we do know there is a, it's an uphill climb. Uh, given the long-standing and rocky, complicated past of teaching. Um, first, uh, that we have today that we didn't have before and we'll have even more of it soon is more and more research by the cognitive scientists who are beginning to want to work more with teachers. Imagine that. Uh, in using new technologies to figure out more precisely how and why kids learn. If you, it, this is an extraordinary uh, opportunity to help teachers become even more expert and make it more known to the public. We also know, and, and I'm not sure how old um, everyone's children are uh, online here tonight, but even you know, our uh, oldest 28-year-old who is uh, kind of all into still the, some of these um, uh, virtual reality games, including what uh, folks are calling uh, multi-user virtual environments uh, for gaming now are being used for kids. And there's some extraordinary uh, uh, developments, uh, including uh, River City, which has been developed out of Harvard. This will give both kids enormous ways to show what they know um, about uh, science and uh, political science and give teachers tools that they never had before to uh, document uh, what these kids know or not. At the same time, everybody's carrying around these smartphones that and soon are going to have some what we call some killer apps that will 
really revolutionized how we think about student learning and how it's counted or calibrated and literally give more uh, opportunities for teachers to control the accountability system that today often confines them. And then finally, uh, and we've already talked about this too, Steve, uh, the, the digital media and virtual networks, um, that while the structure of schooling has not changed much at all, the factory model that you just talked about has not changed it much, and I don't see it changing in the next 10, 15, 20 years like it should uh, because of some recalcitrant uh, uh, elements in the system, but the virtual networks are going to allow us to de-silo teachers and teaching and make their excellent practice much more visible to the public, help the public understand more of what the complexity of teaching. Uh, this is what makes us uh, so hopeful. So we looked at uh, these sorts of trends, couched it in um, a kind of a deep understanding of the history of the profession and came up with four emergent realities. And I'm going to let John just briefly hit on the first two and then, um, well, John, you might want to hit on all four of them all at once <laughs> and then we'll just kind of uh, see where it goes because this is the heart and soul of the book, by the way, um, Steve, and I think what makes the book is as unique as it is because in these four core chapters, organized around these emergent realities, um, the teacher's voice is at the forefront. Those who are practicing uh, the profession of teaching every day, they're working with kids every day, their voices are at the forefront in these four chapters, and mine is more in the uh, background where it belongs. Uh, John? Well, um, the emergent realities that, that we arrived at, um, they really came out of the discussions that we had as a group um, over about probably a year before we started writing, almost, maybe eight months. Um, a transfer learning ecology for students and teachers really gets at those de-siloing that um, Barnett talks about, where uh, students are learning from students, teachers are learning from teachers, and teachers are learning from students, and vice versa, um, really making learning the focus of what we talk about when we talk about what Marshall actually Marshall Rachel described as uh, the classroom mindset as opposed to the classroom place. Um, seamless connections in and out of cyberspace. This is something that's really um, I see it's, it's when you think of cyberspace as something other than what's going on around you. Um, it really uh, it it sounds sort of like us. Cybernetic, like you know, futuristic, um, beyond what we can really get a hold of. But right now, there are things happening that um, can really enhance education, not only um, within smart technologies and, and handheld sort of uh, devices, but also um, having to do with uh, the flow of information from uh, and conversation and learning from virtual to in person. Um, Shannon Nabaka, who was on the book joined us late, uh, teaches uh, in Iowa to students who are all over the state. She sees them face to face and kids today, they don't, it doesn't matter if they're in a classroom with you or online, if they've had the connection established between the teacher and the student, that connection carries into cyberspace and the learning is not diminished by the uh, virtual environment. Um, and the next one is the differentiator. Well, go ahead, John, 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 I'm going to jump in a little bit just right here because I'm looking at Renee and I want to make sure that one slice of that chapter is uh, fully captured and that is while we see enormous opportunities for teachers to work uh, across geographic boundaries uh, and help kids anytime, anywhere, uh, in any space, um, we also think that teachers will need to know even more and be more deeply involved in their neighborhoods and communities. Uh, not all will be doing that, but some very much so will be doing even more of that, even more skilled, almost serving uh, as part-time teacher of fractions and part-time uh, community organizer, if you will. We feel like if you look at what's happening uh, in our um, society right now and the growing divide between the haves and have-nots, there's going to be even greater need for 24-7 wraparound services uh, in not just a few communities in our country, Steve, but in many. Uh, and we believe like as we go wider and broader in cyberspace and opportunities for teachers to teach there, we think we need to go deeper and more focused in communities and in brick and mortar buildings that are not just uh, classrooms but also uh, 
24-7 hubs for, of learning for the community. I'm sorry, John, I just wanted to kind of add yes. that in there because this was Renee's and Carrie's big time piece in, in the book. Well, in the, um, you know, I think that uh, it's sort of a, an echo in this book um, throughout it, but the importance of equity over the next yeah. 20 years as really um, the focus in terms of the teacher's voice is where um, where things are really going to need to change. Um, I'm going to the uh, differentiated pathways and careers. Um, in this section, uh, it describes how um, the, the, the factory model also brings forward the, the factory employee, the person who has um, goes into the factory, works for 30 years, retire, retires, and uh, sits on their front porch. And that's not, the, that's not what many teachers these days, although we have some of those teachers who provide uh, that uh, continuity in terms of uh, uh, you know, the, the profession. Um, many teachers are not going to teach for 30 years. Some of them um, will want to teach and then leave teaching and then go back. And um, providing opportunities for this, uh, for um, differential pathways as well as uh, ladders that allow teachers to progress um, into uh, ways to spread their expertise, develop their expertise, and become leaders in their communities is something that um, could really happen uh, not only from the local level but you know nationally as well. Yeah. Um, do you have something to add on it? Yeah. Uh, thanks, uh, John. Uh, we see the profession much more team-oriented uh, with a wide array of opportunities for a wide array of educators to serve in uh, more generalist roles as well as a lot, uh, specialist roles. Right now, we um, ask uh, basically every teacher to go do almost everything, and that is absolutely impossible. This goes back to the waiting for Superman and the myths that it seemed to reify. Uh, that all we need are these Cape Crusaders. Well, you cannot do all that's needed to be done uh, for children um, with one um, uh, superhero. Uh, we are looking for a wide array of opportunities and a profession that values uh, teams that cut across uh, not just classrooms and schools and districts, but also across the nation. And eventually, why not um, uh, internationally? So one of the themes that's come up um, you know, I, I tweeted out about this question about what are the mistakes yeah. that we make in thinking about education reform. And, and one of the responses, the really strong responses, has been around asking teachers to teach 21st century skills when they don't work in a 21st century environment. So how much, how much of what you've seen relates to also how the teachers are involved in decision making at schools? Oh, that's a, that's a big question, an uh, important one. Uh, all too often, uh, they're not. Uh, um, uh, but this is also where we think the um, virtual community and networking can create some breakthrough and breakout opportunities. Um, it's going to be the way schools have been designed along the factory model with a few administrators uh, in, a, in a tightly defined hierarchical model controlling a slew of teachers uh, all expected to play the same roles in lockstep fashion. <laughs> well, we believe that uh, the way teachers are going to learn how to connect with each other and, and work with each other and share their expertise will be done uh, through cyberspace well before those who are making all the policy decisions uh, give them the opportunity to do so. They're going to take so control to of themselves. In the same way that the car sort of dramatically changed many aspects of our lives that were not necessarily directly related to transportation, but you know our ability to live in a variety of different places and still get quickly to other places. So maybe you know a, a move toward uh, being more free physically. Um, do these technologies, by virtue of the fact that they connect teachers with parents and students more 24-7, do they have sort of inherent within them the seeds of change just because of that increased communication? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, yeah. Go ahead, John. Please, go ahead. Well, I mean, as a, as a practitioner, um, I went from the time when uh, I, mean, I worked with Head Start kids and my children were living in poverty. Um, and when I first started teaching, none of my um, none of my students' parents 
or my students had computers in their phones. Um, but by the time I left 12 years later, um, many of them had computers in their homes, uh, even though they were living in poverty and subsidized housing. But more importantly, their parents all, almost to every one of them, had smart technology in their hand. Um, and so uh, now, if I, if I need to get in touch with a parent, um, I know that, uh, that there's teachers in my classrooms that I work with who are texting uh, parents to get in touch with them. They can uh, communicate what's happening in their classrooms um, almost immediately. And so that sort of uh, involvement with, in the lives of families across the boundary of the classroom door is really going to um, make a difference in the, in the long run. And this is why we need all these teacherpreneurs, Steve, because we need teachers who are doing this extraordinary work with kids and parents on a regular basis, but have the time and the space to um, use these new applications, uh, to develop a new uh, scheme, if, or a schema, for an accountability system that's really um, uh, commensurate with the 21st century um, needs of kids. Uh, if we don't have teachers doing that work, then uh, it will never get done the way it needs to. And I'm going to suggest that it can be done. Uh, one of the um, examples that we um, note in the book uh, is that right now we can take you to one of the largest school systems in, in America, in Los Angeles, and there are approximately 35,000 uh, class, 35, classroom teachers, Steve, and there are also about 35,000 administrators and others non-classroom uh, support personnel who are also on the payroll. Uh, don't tell me that we can't carve out 15% of those 70,000 plus individuals uh, as teacherpreneurs and give them not only the time and the space, but also the reward that they deserve to uh, uh, move these innovations forward. Well, John, as always happens, we run out of time before we run out of topics. So I just want you both to know that we're about 20 minutes away from finishing. And I want to make sure that if there's something you really want to talk about, you get a chance to. So go ahead, John, then I have a question. I was just going to say that um, you know, the, the whole idea about um, teacherpreneurism is that uh, you know, one, of, well, one of the ideas about it, is, and Ariel Sachs talks about this really eloquently in the book, but the um, um, We've been operating in a in a, the uh, sort of a this basically a socialist mentality in the in terms of the classroom teacher. The teachers are all equal. They all work uh, at the same level. They're all paid the same way. And um, you know the idea of teacherpreneurism is really kind of out there in terms of um, getting teachers' ideas out there in the marketplace of education. So that um, the idea that maybe we could do things differently, and maybe my idea might be better than uh, an idea that's been given to me, um, is a really important idea in this book, and it really has the power to change things in terms of what happens in classrooms as well as um, in schools and school districts. So can we use that as a segue into the levers of change? Because in particular, that your first uh, lever or lever of change for me was investing in public engagement. And that really kind of triggered thoughts for me. We've been working with Edutopia to try and figure out how you could hold kind of local meetings around elevating the educational dialogue that just uh, you know, kind of raised the level. Uh, and I was also thinking, are there ways to, that you could do something that would, that would help teachers be more visible in their local communities? Have you thought of ideas in this regard? Um, John, you want to take that one first, and then well, the um, uh, you know, there's I, I really think that this uh, that this is sort of like the time where um, you know one of the best it's a it's a strange perspective, but what, one of the best things that could have happened for good teachers is waiting for Superman because um, so many people see that movie and they don't say that's the teacher that my child has. Many of them don't say that. Many of them say, oh, my child's teacher is much better than that. I never have to deal with that sort of thing. 
and so there it, it's put in release the fact that not all teachers are the same. Um, I think that giving teachers the opportunity to uh, to speak openly, whether uh, it's, uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, blogs and other sort of um, web 2.0 communications, is how uh, we've been doing it with CLN, but how we could do it even more um, in our local communities. that you have to add something? Well, I, I do. I would suggest that we would need to uh, promote the complexity of teaching in many ways, uh, like the way the federal government promoted that smoking was a bad idea. Um, obviously, that was a well-funded, uh, concerted campaign. Um, I don't think that's going to happen in the short order, but it's just as John suggested, uh, as growing numbers of teachers get more connected locally uh, and then globally, and, and these cool tools that are readily available and they become a bit more organized, then we're hoping that it will spur a movement. Um, we are, uh, as an organization, actually trying to go deeper with some of these ideas in a couple of communities. In fact, I'm proud to say that several teachers online tonight from Denver and Seattle to communities where uh, our new Millennium Initiative is unfolding are online here where we're going to be trying to test this out uh, and see if we can make some connections to some key community leaders uh, and build some momentum for this, Steve. Um, um, that's our hope. That's our vision. Uh, that's our plan. I love it. OK, well, I want to make sure we move to Q&A in a couple of minutes. But before we do so, uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about the levers of change? Um, I mean, I think particularly interesting to me was morphing teachers unions into professional guilds. Yes. Well, that's a big one, and I see several teachers online, including uh, several of our young uh, colleagues uh, from Seattle who are deeply involved in some of those conversations right now. Uh, we think unions uh, are going to need a push and a pull, um, that's for sure, uh, and we, we think there are lots of uh, folks out there that are ready to help them do so. Um, uh, but it's no question part of the public engagement strategy will have to be about unions uh, who are the collection of teachers right now, if you will, uh, be seen as uh, standard bearers or trustees of their profession, um, no longer tolerating um, uh, th those who are not uh, able to do what needs to be done to teach well and make sure they're there to help those that are, are willing to do so. So uh, morphing unions into professional deals or is a paramount uh, lever for change. When you and I met, we talked about this idea of an education declaration or a constitutional convention for education. Have you thought any more about that? So one more time. I just you fade it out just for a second there. <laughs> or maybe I'm remembering <laughs> differently than you are. But uh, you know, we had talked about this idea of some kind of a national education declaration or a, a constitutional convention yeah. for education. Um, have you thought any more about that or how that might be done? Wow. Um, not as much as, uh, as probably we'd, we'd, we'd probably need to. Um, um, there, I will say this, and actually we, uh, uh, another co-author, uh, Cindy Rigsby, and I had a uh, book talk last night here in uh, North Carolina. Uh, and uh, we um, suggested to the audience there that um, there are and there were parents in the audience and uh, policy folks and teachers and union leaders and so forth. But we suggested to them that um, there were probably far more people than, uh, that are interested in other people's children just as much as they are in their own than folks really recognize. And we do think it's time to, um, to galvanize. Uh, many of the Americans um, who really do care about these issues. They're far more, we believe, do than don't. Um, but you know, it takes um, resources and um, uh, coalitions of organizations to pull that off. And one of the problems, one of the big barriers we face in public education is that many of, it, of its best advocates don't work as well together as they ought to. 
Uh, and this is probably a topic for an another conversation, Steve. But uh, that is, in large measure, one of the key barriers that is uh, continue to hold us back is that we don't have enough of those who really care about public education and are working in this space uh, to do more together uh, as opposed to uh, by themselves. John, did you want to add anything? Um, I think that one idea that really came out of this book, from just for me personally, is the um, tremendous power that there is in teachers' uh, love for their work and for their uh, development of children and, and influencing children's lives and trying to make uh, things better for everyone. And I think that, you know, one thing that Ready for Superman can never do and that this book does is that it taps into that unbridled hopefulness that so many educators enter the field with and really um, it's called on them to do something about it. Go ahead, go ahead. I know we get a need to get to the Q&A. Uh, we think they're just literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Americans who are ready to hear that message. We just don't have the vehicle to get that message to them. And the best messenger are the teachers themselves. So this is um, where we believe we need to head. And maybe that will lead us to the kind of resources we need for this uh, constitutional convention, uh, Steve, that you are so eloquently <laughs> calling for. Well, I'm actually thinking it might be fun to do this at EduBloggerCon which is the all-day unconference we had before ISTE, mm -hmm. and, uh, because it's in Philadelphia, right? So it sort of seems like, okay, if there were a moment to do that, you know, maybe we could, we could organize it for this June and say, okay, let's, let's come up with a plan for doing something that would be significant in this regard. I'm also really interested in this just enormous group of passionate educators, who, many of whom are worried about losing their jobs. You know, I think at this point, and and how would you, what what could you do to create a, a movement that would that would make them more visible, almost like a teach-in kind of a program, you know, some kind of you know larger program that just allowed them to do something within their community that gave them visibility as valuable members of the community. Wow, that's a wonderful idea, and I'm, I'm sure my colleagues back at my nonprofits at Center for Teaching Quality are just uh, uh, kind of shimmering in their boots right now because of all these great ideas you have, Steve. <laughs> we may try to, and we, we, we can't work on them all, but uh, I, I think that's an extraordinary uh, approach, and um, I will tell you, we'll be more than happy to work with you on that, that's for sure. <laughs> it can help us get some other organizations involved, and we'll be there with you. Well, uh, if, if, if it's appropriate or valuable, I'm sure you'll connect with me. Okay, so let's move to Q&A. Yeah. Um, this is a, sort of a preaching to the choir crowd. I think you've got a lot of folks here who participated in the book or were familiar with it. But um, is there anybody here who would like to take the microphone either to ask a question or to make an additional comment about something that was discussed uh, or to um, highlight something that we didn't get to that you felt was an important part of the book? If you'd like to do that, go ahead and click on the hand with the green up arrow. You can raise your hand or you can put a note in the chat. So while we're waiting for um, someone to respond, um, I'm interested in how we reframe the current narrative. You talk about reframing the current reform narrative and then enacting aggressive new policy to drive a new vision. How do we reframe that narrative? Um, John, uh, please. Yeah. Well, the, um, that, that's my favorite kind of question. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, a lot, there's a lot of uh, passion around the subject of education that, that uh, it's sort of, it, it's almost to the point where, where we're playing a, um, you know, language acrobatics in terms of pushing vision for what it should be like. And, um, you know, one thing that we have tried to do with this is really say that it needs to be about students and only teachers can talk about students the way um, that they basically represent them, either the, te the students themselves or teachers, because they're the ones that are in there um, each day 
living what we're going to be talking about on the web or on TV. Um, and so we really need to start calling on the policy wonks, um, you know, the writers, the, the people in the um, public sphere to talk about students. What is it, what is this going to do for kids? Um, just quickly, uh, Steve, and I think uh, we have a good question coming, I know, but uh, we need more pictures and images than just words, and our colleague, Marsha Ratzel, uh, kind of following up on what John just said, we need more of the student voice as well. Uh, I think this could help a, a great, great deal. Um, so we, we'll, let's go to a question here from Juliana D. Juliana, turn your mic on. You click on the larger microphone button at the lower left of your screen. We saw your mic go on. There you go. This is interesting having multiple talkers. You can hear me. I think. Um, as far as reframing the debate goes, I have some very specific ideas about um, the, the basic, basic framework. I think we need to start speaking from. I think we need to have um, some succinct ways of presenting to the public um, the really far ends of the spectrum of what public education can be. So showing a visual example of students in a standardized learning teaching environment versus students in a collaborative problem-solving Google learner environment. And then from there, once we have people's emotions sort of um, clued, into the, clued into the spectrum, we, as, a, as teacher leaders, I think, should be coming up with some shorter-term goals from the 2030 book. So what exactly could be done realistically in the next um, three to five years? And taking into account some of the economic realities, but also putting some of the economic realities aside and saying, we need, we need students to be working on everyday problems. And the testing, the standards are all going to be embedded and having examples of how that has worked. It's, it's, I've been talking to Ryan kind of on, a, on the side here tonight about the book Switch, and it has definitely impacted my way of thinking about how to get these changes implemented, getting people emotionally involved, and then seeing a very concrete step-by-step -step plan in the near future to get people across the country on board. Um, and so the specific goals I don't have worked out in my head, but um, I really do believe that that's, that is a, a viable framework for to go from. Thanks, Juliana. Barnett, I'm very interested in the degree to which it feels like the dialogue is really moving toward learning. And uh, whereas maybe the previous dialogues about education related to learning, citizenship, and personal development, mm -hmm. does it feel like there's a shift in the view of what schools are supposed to accomplish? Well, it depends on who you're speaking with. Um, and in what context? Um, if you um, go, to, I was on a, a conference uh, call earlier today about some uh, international network of teachers um, that we're hoping to be more involved in the future, and got connected with some folks who are uh, working in Brazil. And the Brazilians right now, um, as they are trying to reframe how they do their teacher development policy in their country. And by the way, they have been working in a way that has actually narrowed the achievement gap there at a much greater rate than other places around the world. Uh, they're actually now looking to do exactly the opposite of what our federal policy is in this country. <laughs> so I, I'm telling you, we, if we start looking perhaps not just to hear what people are saying in Washington, D.C., or in Tallahassee, Florida, um, or the like, or in New York City, but we start looking to what might be going on and what is going on in uh, China and Singapore and Finland and Brazil, then I think we might be able to help um, shift the narrative in a way that uh, can get us uh, to where we need to be going much faster than we would otherwise. Yeah, and I'll add that I think that uh, this seems to be a really significant moment in time because of the technology to right. hold those conversations and have them be visible. Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't have to travel to Brazil <laughs> to learn this uh, and vice versa. Yeah. Okay. So did you want to pitch the, the book study here in our final minute here? Yes, we have a number of tools and opportunities for folks to get involved. Um, 
uh, if you just stay tuned to our, our website, www.teachingquality.org, uh, let us know if you want to um, stay connected on an even more regular basis. We will have a book study that's going to be launched uh, in February. We're also going to have some follow-up webinars, uh, Steve, where we're going deeper uh, with some of the uh, issues of, of the book, like what exactly will a teacherpreneur do? Uh, how can we make their work more visible and valuable and valued, uh, being more descriptive um, and the like? We'll be doing that over the course of the spring. Uh, we'll be doing some work with some of the guests that you have already spoken with uh, and who you will be spoken to in the future. Like, for example, Michael Horn is going to be working with us a bit later this year. We're trying to uh, sort of pool resources and ideas to think uh, more deeply about our respective work and our respective networks. So um, yes, uh, get in touch with Melinda Faber at our office and we'll be happy to, uh, thrilled to get you involved in uh, what we hope to be a, really a movement to uh, transform the profession that makes all others possible. Good for you. And I'm going to go to the next slide here for more. This is your contact information. Yes, absolutely. John, I don't know if we have a slide for you. I'm thinking we don't. So if you want to put your contact information in the chat, feel free to. Thanks to both sure, of you for coming on tonight. I'm clapping for you. Oh. Uh, really, it was a great read for me, and I really appreciated um, what you've done. And Barnett, I'm just sort of delighted that, uh, that we were able to get in contact and, and look forward to finding ways to to facilitate or help what you're doing. Well, Steve, you've been a, a wonderful host, uh, a great uh, uh, questioner, uh, and we are honored to be part of your network, your show, uh, and we look forward to having another meal with you together uh, in, in Palo Alto or somewhere else uh, that we get connect where we land together. How's yeah, that? That would be very fun. Yes. Thanks, Barnett. Thanks, Steve, John. Thanks, Steve. thanks, everybody, for coming on. I'll leave the schedule up. Uh, we'll close tonight. Uh, very rewarding. Really appreciate uh, hearing from you. And the book is Teaching 2030, What We Must Do for Our Students and Our Public Schools Now and in the Future. Uh, and you can buy it online. Take care, everybody, and good night. Good night. Thank you. Right. Good night. Uh, and again, appreciate your being here.